Welcome to Need to Know Nutrition, the podcast that loves using the medicinal properties of food to help improve and enhance your overall health. Today, I have the pleasure of welcoming to the show, Jake Biggs. Hailing from Sydney, Jake is a clinical nutritionist who specializes in sports nutrition and men's health. Now, I'm really excited about today because I haven't actually had a male targeted episode yet. So whether you're listening for yourself, your husband, your partner, dad, uncle, grandfather, brother, son, or nephew, you'll be sure to pick up some incredible nutrition advice and tips to improve your overall health. Jake is extremely passionate about using nutrition as medicine for the body, and he also provides individualized nutrition plans for anyone to optimize their health, well-being, vitality, and performance. Today, we discuss all things sports nutrition and men's health, from sports nutrition tips and protein to men's specific health issues, alcohol, and metabolism. Jake is a wealth of knowledge, so if you're starting your health journey or looking to continue it, you'll really enjoy all that Jake has to offer. So great to have you here on the show with us today, Jake. Welcome. Thank you so much. It's awesome to be here. Now, firstly, can you tell our listeners all about your own personal journey and what led you to becoming a clinical nutritionist? Yes, I've had a long, a much longer journey um, than others. Um, I'm Jake. I'm 29. I live in Sydney. Um, what sort of made me become involved in nutrition and quite excited about it um, is that unfortunately at a young age, when I was about 15 years of age, I developed severe anorexia um, and that was a battle that was very intense for me. And then unfortunately in 2015, um, I got a brain tumour which required um, urgent brain operating and subsequent radiotherapy. I'd been always into sport and health my life, but I really wanted to, after these two sort of severe um, issues that came into my life, really learn about food, about nutrition, and the way of sort of healing the body is obviously throughout that time in my youth, there was a lot of malnourishment. So, and I really wanted to educate myself and sort of be a pioneer on hopefully in the future, helping people with not only eating disorders, but just nutrition for optimizing their health. And I was very interested in sports nutrition as well. And I really enjoyed that um, in my degree. And I'm looking to really look towards in my future is working with athletes in a sporting demographic, because I'm really interested in the way that sort of nutrition impacts sporting performance and obviously overall health. That's great. Thank you so much for sharing that story, Jake. And I think it's very interesting that you touch on malnourishment in the younger generations, because as you and I both know, that's very prevalent um, and something that you don't really, or you're not exposed to a lot when you're young. You think you know everything, don't you? So it's really lovely to be able to be taken on a journey like that, especially later on in your life, to be able to look back and reflect on the things that were perhaps missing in your diet and then able to uh, you know, really be able to nourish yourself from the inside out? Yeah, definitely. I mean, definitely um, when I was much younger, I had no nutrition education. You know, with primary school, there is barely anything. And with the onset of such a severe um, dietary condition that really um, made me quite ill, um, it would be interesting to know whether at that time if there was more nutrition education for myself 
in a younger age how that would have affected. But here I am now. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you mentioned sports nutrition. So you specialize in sports nutrition. And I also love that you specialize or or, um, work a lot with men's health too. I feel like that might there's a little bit of a, a niche in the market for that. So good on you. Now, let's start with sports nutrition. Is it all about protein or is there more when it comes to performance and recovery? So it's actually a really good question. I get asked this a lot. And I obviously, the first thing that I say to people is context. So context meaning sports nutrition is nutrition to fueling performance for optimizing recovery. Now, what I say to people first is we we call it the ABCs versus the XYZ. What that means is that sports nutrition is great. Athletes use it around the world. There's sports nutritionists at the top clubs. Sport, you know, a lot of players have personal nutritionists, a dietitian, but they have a time and a place. You have to make sure that anyone who's listening who's into fitness or wants to improve their performance has to get the ABCs right. What does I mean by the ABCs? The ABC is just the fundamentals. So it's a world-renowned, we call it the sports nutrition pyramid. So the pyramid being from highest priority to least priority. So when everyone thinks about sports nutrition, they think of protein powder, creatine, caffeine, that side of things, multidextrin pre-workout, branch chain amino acids. But it's very, it's making sure firstly that sports nutrition is great, but you have to work with your ABC, which I call the whole foods diet. And then you can move on to sports nutrition, what we mean by, you know, pre-game meal, post-game, intra-game, that sort of thing. But we just have to make sure that we have our base fundamentals right. Because there's no point going so hard on the sports nutrition, the supplement side of things, if there's micronutrient deficiency. So if someone's not having a whole foods diet, that's a balance of protein, carbohydrates, dietary fat, get enough dietary fiber, for example, our absorption of the nutrients is not going to be optimized. So once we have a whole foods diet, then we can go into the sports nutrition. We always have to think about sports nutrition also in the context of a lot of companies. I don't have any um, agendas with any companies, no endorsements, that's for sure. But a lot of companies you'll see where they flood the market with protein batters and all these supplements that I've mentioned earlier because that's their business. That's what they need to sell. There wouldn't be a, a supplements company or something like this selling a whole foods diet because it's not there. That's not what they do. But I have to sort of make it very clear that sports nutrition is something that is incredibly important for optimizing performance and recovery. But unless we have the whole foods diet that makes sure that we have all our micronutrients and all our macronutrients in, in adequate amounts, the sports nutrition is not going to be effective. And there's no point um, in when you speak to sports nutritionists um, that they will always tell you, you have to make sure that you have the ABCs correct. Absolutely. And so well said. And anybody who's listening to this podcast and is a regular listener of this podcast knows that that's what we're all about here as well, Jake, is to make sure that that foundation is so important in every aspect of your health. And I love that that is the the main point that you make when it comes to sports nutrition as well. So with that in mind, what are your top three nutrition tips for any aspiring athletes or pavement enthusiasts or gym junkies who are listening today? 
Yeah, so I think the first thing is when it comes to, it's all around the pyramid. Like it's all about making sure you have that whole foods diet. So we have to also be very clear when I'm speaking to clients and you're speaking to a demographic where it's not their full-time job. You know, athletes, that's all they do. They train, they play, and they obviously, they can have a part-time, you know, very small part-time. They do a degree or something, but that's what they're paid to do. That's all they do. But when you're speaking to the general demographic that does have a full-time job, that does have family, that don't have friends, that does have friends, it's all about context. So we can't, obviously, when I see someone, I can't give them a 100% whole foods diet. That's their entire life. That's what they have to do for their fitness goals. So we call it the 80-20 rule. So the 80-20 rule means you have 80% of your diet from whole foods and then 20% what we call discretionary so that you can go out and have takeaway and you have a little bit of a cheat or that sort of thing. So you just want to make sure that the majority, the top number one, but the majority of your diet comes from whole foods. What we mean by whole foods, foods that are not processed and not packaging um, and you've got you know, your lean meat, your carbohydrates, nuts, grains, fruit, vegetables. These foods are going to have the most optimal nutrition for you. The next tip that I would give is goal-orientated. So someone's goal is going to have a big impact on their nutrition. For example, um, a, a cyclist who's doing marathons, for example, you'd see Lance Armstrong, take away the doping side of things, but Lance <laughs> Armstrong and all these cyclists, they have enormous amounts of carbohydrates in their diet. Why? Because they need carbohydrates to fuel their performance and they have, that's an enormous amount. But someone who's a sprinter, for example, Usain Bolt, he wouldn't need as many carbohydrates. He would need more of what we call the high glycemic carbohydrates, which is a different form. So my, my number two nutrition tip would be, what is your goal and how do we develop a nutrition plan around it? If someone wants to increase muscle mass, for example, we need the calories to be in a high amount, a caloric surplus versus a someone who wants to lose weight, lose fat. We need this, someone to be in a caloric deficit. That would be number two, that you need to make sure that you're very clear with your nutrition, what goal you have and how we can set up a nutri nutrition plan for that. And the third thing is really what I mentioned Minery, but it has to be sustainable. We have to be balanced long-term. A lot of diets um, that you'll see whether have come on mainstream, whether it's the Atkins diet, the low-fat diet, all these different diets, they're all serving a purpose, which is serving a purpose. They all try to create, create a caloric deficit. But the problem that I find when you give someone a diet is that it's not sustainable. It's not taking in consideration someone's life. It's not taking in consideration if a business person has to travel overseas, what do they do then? Um, so we just need to make sure that you have a dietary intake that's balanced and sustainable and you feel that over the course of your journey, whatever goal that you have, you need to make sure that you can categorically say if you're working with a professional or not working with a professional, you need to make sure and be very clear to yourself is this something I can sustain? If it's not, then you have to recorrect because some people are more advanced than others. But I'll definitely say you need to be very aware of your environment and very aware of where you are at your um, life stage 
your priority is improving your performance and you're going, you have a goal, but we just need to make sure that the goal or you have um, and what you want to achieve is something that's within the realms of possibility and also something that you feel that you can sustainable, you can stick to. That's, you know, very, a very clear example of that is, you know, acute versus sustainable weight loss. The biggest loser, for example, you lose enormous amounts of weights very quickly but the body just rebounds so there's really no point of being on a diet or being on whatever you want to do with um, dietary purposes if you don't have it sustainable because you're just going to have that rebound effect so i'm all about long-term sustainability developing a framework that you feel for long-term results Oh, some great tips there, Jake. And I do love, you know, because that one size fits all, is it just doesn't work, especially in the nutrition and health realm. We know that. I love that you've mentioned that, that really generic overview doesn't work for everybody because we're all so unique. So we do need a unique approach to our nutrition and our health. I also love that you mentioned goal setting in there as well is to be really clear about the goal that you want, because that then determines the the type of nutrition that is going to be best suited to you as well. So some great tips there. Thank you, Jake. Now, I really want to talk about men's health. I'm really excited to dive into Mm. this because I haven't actually had a men's specific segment on this podcast yet. Now, firstly, what is men's health and what other types of things you do or you see as a nutritionist in your clinic when it comes to men's health issues? Yeah, so men's health is definitely something that is on the rise in terms of awareness. I mean, everyone would know about Movember, raising money for that in promoting men's health. It's obviously, it has a stigma, you know, for a long period of time, males were, you know, ambivalent, scared, they didn't want to talk about their health, because it was sort of that was frowned upon. It was definitely with me something with me definitely with my eating disorder. When I was in hospital for many times, I had surrounded by females, I had, I think, 20 hospitalization visits, and only one male out of the hundreds of people. So when it came to when it comes to men's health, it's really important that there is a lot more awareness about it. You'll hear a lot more stories, people coming out on speaking about this. But I think that it's really important to, you know, define what men's the men, you know, men's health is just the physical, the mental and social well-being of males. And it's like I said, really not spoken about. It's an amazing study that they found in following International Men's Day in 2015, actually surveyed a thousand males and 40% of those males said that they won't speak about their mental health and they only thoughts of suicide or self-harm made them get professional help. So it just shows to you. Yeah, amazing. So that was from a thousand people, 40%. So it's really important moving forward for the government organizations to be really you know advertisement that side of thing of males to speak up because that just shows that there's and when i'm trying to it's really really good for me because me being a male me seeing um clients that are male they feel quite comfortable with me they feel that they can talk about their sexual issues you know, some have presented with erectile dysfunction, obviously, as a nutritionist, that's not what I treat, but they say approximately 40% of males do have erectile dysfunction. So I refer out to that. It's also really important for me when I see some males, a lot of males are depressed. You know, they say at the moment, a study found that one out of every six Australian men suffers from depression at any given time in their life. So when you think of the Australian population, roughly 28 million, one out of 
every six Australian men. So again, as a nutritionist, um, I don't explicitly, I don't treat that. I'm going to refer to that. What I do find with a lot of males that come to me, come to me, it's very body composition focused. There is a little bit of erectile dysfunction and depression, but the most I do see is body composition. Body composition, we mean um, optimizing our body composition, whether that means gaining muscle mass, losing fat. So that's what I think about from a sports nutrition sport of sort of thing is that I'm about, you know, people come to me, they say, I have this particular health goal. I particularly want to increase my muscle mass. I want to lose body fat. And the first thing that I say to them is, okay, that's your goal. But like we said, like when I mentioned to you earlier, it has to make it sustainable. So that's sort of the three things that come to mind. I did have one client that did come to me with high cholesterol. One in three adults in Australia do have high cholesterol. And it was really interesting for me because with the study, with the degree that I did, which was nutritional medicine and Endeavor College, it's all about using food as medicine, being able to heal the body. So it was really, really, really interesting for me because someone came to me, I think he was, he was 33 years of age. He'd got diagnosed with high cholesterol. And I said, can you show me your blood test profile? And his LDL profile, what we call the bad cholesterol versus the HDL, which is the good cholesterol, it was very one side. The LDL was very high. So it means that, okay, we need to attend to that. So the doctor said that he, it was really interesting that, you know, a lot of doctors would prescribe statins um, and just get flooding with medication. But the doctor actually said, I think maybe before we should do the statins, you should go see a nutritionist and see that maybe is there anything that you can do with your diet? And it was really interesting. So I was like, oh, this is the perfect time for me because I did a whole um, I did a whole assignment on high cholesterol. And what we did together was just incorporate some really cool things. So we incorporated some garlic. So a really cool study found that eating one garlic clove per day for three months lowered total cholesterol by 9%. And also regular soluble fiber consumption, which we call from fruit vegetables, nuts, grains, over a four-week period was found to have a five to 10 reduction in LDL cholesterol. So it was amazing. So over the course, I worked with him for two months and then we incorporated some garlic. We made sure that we had a whole foods diet. Um, we really wanted to bump up the, his vegetable intake. And when he came back to me, when he had another blood test, his cholesterol was normal. It was the LDL was down. Um, and it was all balanced and that was with no medication so obviously medication has a time and a place but when it comes to these sort of things it's really important whenever I think where there's any condition whether if it's high cholesterol high blood pressure that side of thing there's a huge amount of nutritional research out there that's been shown to improve that so the main four things that I'll have is high cholesterol body composition, erectile dysfunction, and depression. That's amazing. Well, and it, and I just, I love the medicinal properties of foods, Jake. I think that's so important. And it's great, you know, for people like you and me who are able to educate our clients in that department and making those small dietary changes. 
and having such a big effect on your overall health. Like that, that is amazing. And, and snaps to reading all those studies too. I mean, they're incredible just on their own. And, and, and you can see in your own clinic that it does work and that's amazing. So well done, Jake. Now, the other thing I want to talk about is alcohol. Now I know in some cases, this is equally consumed by men and women, but perhaps the pressure of going to the pub for a few beers is felt more by men. I mean, can you give us your top tips on approaching alcohol in a healthy way yeah so i mean when you said that males would go into the pub obviously with beers it's more more common with males rather than females more yeah. females more with the wine side of thing which is unfortunate for males because when we think of beer we think of what we call empty calories so calories when we have food has energy calories kilojoules and some foods a lot of foods have amazing qualities amazing nutritional components but when it comes to beer we call it empty empty just has nothing so there's no nutritional value um, whatsoever when you're having a lot of beer so I think the first thing is what we what I said earlier it's about context so it's all about that alcohol is social I mean there's how many bars are there around the world and there's there's obviously alcohol is very prevalent otherwise there wouldn't be every there wouldn't be a bar on every second street um, in the world Um, but it doesn't mean that for someone that I work with that says they like drinking alcohol I'm not going to say okay you can never have alcohol again in your life the main two like the two key words that I emphasize to anyone that I see is balance and moderation. Because if you have balance and moderation, you can enjoy your life. You don't have to deprive yourself 100% of the time. Because when we spoke, as I mentioned earlier, when you do deprive yourself and 100%, you just do that. Long-term, it's not sustainable. So when it comes to alcohol, it's really important when I, the first thing I say to someone is, what is your goal? What is your goal? If someone's goal is to lose a lot of weight, they're extremely overweight, extremely obese, alcohol in that period of time has to be minimized, has to be minimized because that beer, for example, is loaded. It's a lot of energy. It's a huge amount of energy that you're having just in drinks. And that's when you're not even taking into the food consideration as well. If someone has type 2 diabetes, for example, that is going to be extremely problematic with the what B has, the consistency of that. It's actually really important for, you know, when I tell people that red wine, for example, has been shown to have a lot of cardiovascular properties, been very good for the cardiovascular system. So if someone says to me, okay, cool. So I say, you're having, you know, five beers a night, like you're having an enormous amount. We need to cut that down. How do we do that? So we need to firstly, I need to, when I'm all about my business is all about education, educating my clients. And I want to educate everyone because I find that once you educate people around some, you know, when I see the majority of people that have alcohol, they have no idea how much alcohol they should have. Like what is the Australian government saying? So when I sell to them that Australian adults should drink no more than 10 standard drinks a week and no more than four standard drinks on any one day that's like really important because they wow i'm having five drinks a day like i can't really what do i do so it's also really important to really understand how much you're having and we obviously alcohol is a drug a drug is that we is something that we don't want to have all the time but we just want to make sure that has to be goal orientated and make sure that 
if we do have our whole foods diet, we have that 80-20 rule and someone wants to have a little bit of alcohol, that's fine. Like as long as it's minor, it's not a lot. Um, that's the main thing. And it's also really important if someone does want to drink and they feel like I really want to drink that you need to eat before and actually during when you're drinking. Because a lot of people just drink and drink and they have no idea if they're eating before and after. So when you haven't eaten, the body, when you have alcohol, it will enter the bloodstream extremely quickly. So that when you're having, you know, food before and after, it's very slow. It's more, you know, it's much more entered slowly into the blood, the bloodstream, the stomach and the small intestine. So you just want to make sure that when you're drinking and if you're choosing to drink, you make sure that you're eating before and after. And also you don't mix alcohol with sugary or energy drinks because that's going to aggravate, it's going to inflame whatsoever. And to make sure that you're avoiding salty snacks. A lot of people don't know this, but when you're having salty snacks, they make you much thirstier. But in an alcohol setting, you're much, studies have shown that you're much likely to drink more and more because you're having salty snacks, which is going to make you a lot more thirsty. A really cool thing that I give to my clients is to say, let's put a diary together. So this is your diary over the time of your months. This is where the times where you do have parties, where you've been invited out to the pub. Let's put a diary together. So we're going to say you're going to have only one drink that time. And the rest, you're just going to have either a non-alcoholic drink or you can have a mineral water, that side of thing. So when you put a diary together and a plan together, it means that you've got a very good structure. That sounds great, Jake. So again, some really easily accessible advice for everybody to be able to implement today. And I love that you've used an example of, you know, the Australian dietary guidelines when it comes to alcohol consumption, but then you've also put it back into context, which I know is one of your favorite words. I love it too. It's really great. You know, putting it into people's lives. Cause again, you are unique. You need to, there's so much to consider when alcohol is on the scene. And I also love that you can never unlearn something. So everyone's just listened to all of that, Jake. They can't unlearn it. Now they know. They'll, they'll know what they need to do when it comes to alcohol. Now, this uh, this next question probably coincides with the last one, but what mm. nutrient deficiencies are you most likely to see in men and how can this be corrected by diet and lifestyle? Yes, it's actually really interesting with the males that I see. It's really the four common nutrient deficiencies that I see is vitamin D deficiency, a calcium deficiency, magnesium and a really cool one omega-3 fatty acids omega-3 fatty mm. acids a part of you know dietary fat that's very shown to be anti-inflammatory so what i find when a lot of males that i see when staying on the omega-3 fatty acids bandwagon is that there's no fish in their diet there's no oily fish there's just no anti-inflammatory properties so it's really important that when i see men um, the first thing that I really want to look at is their omega-3 fatty acid profile. Because obviously when we age, we get older, there's inflammation that builds up. But it's also, as studies have shown, how important omega-3 fatty acids are for the brain. So a lot of males, when they're saying they have poor cognition, quite fatigued, maybe a bit of brain fog, it's really related to the brain. So we just need to recorrect that, making sure we've got enough oily fish, you know, the avocados, 
those nuts, those side of things. So another one that comes when I said before was magnesium. So the nutrient deficiency is very clear with magnesium is particularly around sleep and muscle cramps. And the really good thing with magnesium, it's that it's very easily to get through the diet. You'd see Popeye when we were of a young <laughs> age, Popeye slamming down the spinach. So spinach is really high in magnesium, banana really high in magnesium. That's why you'll see a lot of athletes doing that. So also calcium. So calcium is a big one. Obviously, there's the dairy industry flooding people that need to have milk. That A lot of the demographic is actually intolerant to dairy. And I, I see a lot of aggravating factors when I give someone if they find that I want them to have milk, for example. So you can just get that a lot of calcium from green leafy vegetable green leafy vegetables and calcium is just critical for bone health so it's really important to do that um, that numerous studies have shown that strength training also when it comes to a lifestyle side of things can play a key role in slowing bone loss and several studies show that actually builds bone so you need the calcium but it's also really important to have that magnesium the final one being vitamin d so vitamin d everyone you'll hear it again and again we need vitamin d get sunlight why is that? Because vitamin D is essential for men, in particularly from a metab metabolism point of view, that it's really important that for when we have enough sunlight, it's actually really interesting that studies have shown that Norway has the highest rates of depression because in Norway, there's literally no sun. So when we have sunshine, we're really exposed to the sun. It's very enlightening. It's very um, captivating for the body and really loves that because it's real sunshine. It's a really good vitamin D rich foods that I'll give to anyone is eggs, mushrooms, salmon. This is really good in vitamin D and not a very common question that I do get asked is about nutrient. I have a nutrient deficiency. So when I see a client, I do a food analysis, I put in their food that they're having and it comes up with any, what deficiency they have. The first thing they say is what supplement should I buy? I'm like, no, 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 hold on, hold on. So mm -hmm. we don't need to buy a supplement. The supplement is their supplement being a, I think it gets very confused. Supplement means supplementing the diet. So the first thing that I do is, okay, cool. You have this amount of, you're having 90% of your calcium. You don't need a supplement. We just need to top that up with foods. Amazing. Now you mentioned metabolism, Jake, and I'm glad that you did because I've had a lot of male clients talk about metabolism, you know, when they were young, it was ridiculously fast and, you know, it was almost impossible to put on weight. And then all of a sudden it slows down. Now you did mm. give us a little bit of an insight into that. Is there anything else that you can add and perhaps, you know, give us your top three tips to help keep the metabolic fire burning? Yeah. So it's actually so interesting when people come to me and say, they say, Jake, I could have pizzas, pizzas and burgers all day when I'm, a, when I'm young and nothing will happen. I look fine. And now <laughs> when I'm much older and I have that, I turn into an oompa loomp. So I say <laughs> to them, I think it's really important for, you know, a lot of people when they hear metabolism, metabolism and I said do you know what metabolism actually is they said no and I think it's really important for people to understand that metabolism converts the food into energy it's life-sustaining chemical reactions in the human body it's incredibly complex and I think it's really important for people to understand that our metabolism does go down when we age but we can do things that actually switch it on that make it active firing a lot of the metabolism does come down to genetics genetics being family, yeah, what we are predisposed to, and also, gen also gender, and how much exercise you're doing. But definitely three cool things that I do with my clients is to make sure that 
they have protein at every meal. Protein actually is really cool. It comes from the Greek word proteus. And protein has been shown to increase metabolism. Why this, why this is, is we call it the thermic effect of food, TEF. What the thermic effect of food means that when we eat food, it's a energy expending process. What that means is that the body needs calories, it requires calories, energy to break it down, to digest it, absorb it, assimilate it. So protein out of all the macronutrients causes the largest rise in the thermic effect of food. It's been shown to actually increase metabolism, your metabolic rate by up to 15 to 30%. This is compared to carbohydrates, which is roughly five to 10 and fats off memories with zero to 3%. So when you're having protein, it means that your metabolism is fired because it, it's an energy expending process. And a really cool study found that people were less likely to eat calories per day when protein made up the majority of their diet. Because you'll find that when you have a lot of protein in your diet, it makes you feel very full. So when someone has, for example, two chicken breasts, virtues, two bowls of rice, they'll feel enormously more feel full on the chicken breast because and when you feel more full, you're like, I don't want to eat more. That's the first thing. Then second thing is I say is lift heavy things. Doesn't mean having to do go to the gym, but just lift things. Why lifting is really good. It's that muscle is much more metabolically active than fat. What do we mean by that? Metabolically active mean again, energy expending. So when we're building muscle, it can help increase the metabolism. When we call it a thing, it's a term that's quite commonly used now, which is called EPOC, excessive post-oxygen consumption. What that means is that you have a result in elevated of oxygen consumption and metabolism to support muscle recovery. You've broken down the muscle tissue. The body needs to recover from that. And studies have shown that up to 38 hours, um, your weight, weight training, lifting heavy things has been shown to increase EPOC. And then the third thing that I would say that is directly related to overall health is sleep. Make sure that you're having enough sleep. What happens when we don't have enough sleep is that we have an increase in a hormone called ghrelin and our leptin, which is our makes us feel full, is deteriorated. So when you'd find I found that when I wasn't sleeping well, I was hungry all the time. So it's really important um, for anyone to understand that sleep is critical for obviously health, but also for our metabolism, because the sleep is when we rejuvenate, we recover, hormonal, that side of things. So that would be the three things. Wow, Jake, thank you so much for all of that amazing uh, advice, all those amazing tips. That's amazing. Now, if people wanted to reach out to you on social media or find you on the web, how could they yep. go about doing that? Yep, cool. So um, feel free to send me a direct message on Instagram or Facebook. So my hashtag is nutrition longevity. And there you'll have a link tree. Um, you can go directly to my website or feel free to uh, email me um, info.nutritionlongevity at email.com. And I'd love to help out. Well, Jake, thanks again for being on the show today. And thank you for sharing your in-depth knowledge and all-round passion for nutrition. You can hear it radiating in your voice. So thank you so much. I know the listeners will love this. Absolute pleasure. Great to chat. Thanks for joining me today and learning all the things you need to know about nutrition and your body. 
If you want to learn more about today's topic or have a question you'd like answered, please jump onto my website, thetravellingnutritionistaustralia.com and find the podcast tab. All the references are also available should you wish to dive a little deeper. Remember, it's not the things that you eat and do occasionally that matter. It's the things that you eat and do every day that really count. Until next time, always choose the good stuff because you and your health are worth it.